chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm thrilled to have Marcy Bursack on the show today. Marcy is an adoptive mom, author, podcast host, and software designer. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. Marcy, I am so delighted to have you on the Something Extra podcast today. Thank you so much, sweet sister, for being willing to be on the show. Well, I am honored that you had this idea. I know we talked at an airport. This kind of came up. And so I'm just thrilled that you've reached out and said, hey, let's chat about where God sent you. So thank you. Yes. No. And you and I were talking offline. I said, Marcy, I just feel like I've known you forever. I don't, I don't even remember the origin, but you and I have crossed paths through multiple people that we know, connections to success. You know, there are a lot of different places that our lives crossed over. But to your point, we were recently in the airport and I was traveling to Charlotte. You were traveling to Florida and you had your precious little daughter there and you guys were going to shoot a commercial. Which ended up, you said, being so much fun and you learned a few things, but you got some time on the beach too, which is perfect. Yeah, we did. I got to have like a home that wasn't my home, but staged as my home. And yeah, I got to kind of recreate my life as if I lived in Florida. And that actually launches at the end of January, 2023. So you might see me on a commercial. That's so cool. Well, I I tell you, I'm not sure that I know too many people, Marcy, as I think about you that have done so many different things. I mean, you have stepped into a lot of unknowns and we're going to talk about that today. You know, I think, you know, and you know, I've talked offline about this too, and you're a woman of faith. And you said, when you're a woman of faith, you just say, God, where do you want me to go? And boy, you have just, you've stepped into those opportunities and you've been obedient and just look at how rich your life is. And it's an adventure. An adventure and experiences, Marcy, that you probably never would have dreamed of, you know, when you were a younger woman. But, Absolutely. you know, I know, yeah, I know you grew up here in St. Charles, but you went to school at Belmont, which is an amazing university in Nashville, and lived there for a while. I think you have a BS in psychology, and then you have a master's degree from Minnesota, and then you're in your MBA right now, right? Yeah, I love learning, right? 
So yeah, I made this pivot from the nonprofit world professionally into corporate America, into the business world. And so I kind of seized this opportunity. I saw, oh, they'll help me with that education. So to me, I'm like, well, since I don't know the business world, why not go and explore the space that I know is going to be helpful no matter what I do next or wherever God sends me next. Yeah. Well, you know what? There's a lot packed in there because I'm always, you never, ever know where God's going to take you. And, you know, we're always in preparation mode, right? And so I think about that, Marcy, and I think, you know what? You're getting the equipping now. You're getting the equipping and where is God going to send you? But, you know, being prepared for that is really important. But yeah, to your point, you know, when you started out, you were development director for a multitude of different organizations, Girl Scout, Shalom House, Connections to Success, which is probably where you and I initially met. Amazing organization, if our listeners don't know about it. Brad and Kathy Lambert, go check it out. Look at what they do because they do amazing things. But then you made that pivot, which is funny to me, and you became an application software developer at Spectrum. What in the world, you know, is the precipice for that? And how did you make that transition? Because a lot of people would be like, what? You were development director and then you went into IT? How did that happen? Yeah. Well, and the irony, Lisa, as you know, it's there are synonyms like or they're homophones, excuse me, like developer in the nonprofit world means you fundraise and developer in technology means you write code. And so I'm like, I actually didn't really change my title. It's just what I was doing totally changed. But the story really is when I started at Connections to Success is really when my husband and I moved forward with getting licensed to adopt through foster care that kind of story, maybe we'll get to a bit later. But after becoming a mom, and my kids were three and four, and we met, they were four and five, when we finalized our adoption, I had this kind of guilt, where I'd be going to meetings with amazing people like you in the community to plan events for the organization. And it would be like 6 or 7pm. And I'd be running into the meeting, and I call my kids on the phone. And I would be like, why am I saying good night? To my kids, on the, I'm like, I never established mom goals, but this would not have been top five. Like, this would not have been it. And I really wrestled with, well, what can I do then? Like, what can I do career-wise? And I felt a very strong no that I didn't want to become like a CEO of a nonprofit, which is really ironic given present day things, right? And so what happened is a girlfriend from middle school worked at the MasterCard Foundation she came to Connections to Success and pointed out, hey, the, the single moms you're working with, they could really jumpstart a career at a livable wage if they could learn to code. And by the way, there's this local agency, Launch Code. And so I was part of that relationship, got a little taste into it and thought, I have always loved math. I didn't major in math, but man, like this stuff is really cool. So at home at night, I like get onto this Harvard website and it was so overwhelming. Lisa, I think I got a lesson and a half in and was like, never mind. That was a great, never mind. <laughs> And I just couldn't juggle my parenting demands, my career demands and learning. And so I actually went to this, the founder, Kathy Lambert, she's actually since pivoted her career. Brandy Jonka actually leads the organization today. She's amazing and based in Kansas City. And I went to Kathy, we met for coffee and I just explained to her my heart. And I said, listen, I'm going to recruit my replacement, but I need to go reskill because I need to create, like I need to pursue my love for math, but I also want to align my life to my children. And she was so incredibly supportive. Oh, I, I love that story, Marcy. And if you're not happy, this is just for our listeners. If you're not happy where your life is right now, you can pivot. You can recreate your life, right? And I think about you, Marcy, and I think your values, once you started that adoption process and now you have these kiddos, 
your values shifted. Totally. Right? Yeah. And it wasn't that you didn't love what you were doing. You loved the organizations that you were supporting, but your value shifted in that, no, my family is my priority. A meeting is never going to replace the time with my family. So really adjusting your life to fit the values. That's exactly what you did. So didn't see that one coming though. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. I, yeah. Who would have ever thought, right? I bet you when you were getting your psychology degree, when you were at Belmont, you never would have thought you were going to be a software developer, but that's precisely what you did. I want to move into now, really, you got married in 2008. And I think this is so beautiful. Your hearts were so aligned in how you wanted to expand your family. And you guys, kudos to you guys for talking about that, Marcy, <laughs> and how, how you know, about family and what their your expectations were. But you both said, you know, option A for you, not that it couldn't have been biological kids. And who knows? God may still bless you guys with biological kids. But that wasn't the was it because you couldn't have biological kids? Your option A was adoption. You both felt very strongly about that. And I think you said, I love this. I read this somewhere, probably from your book, but you go, I love what you say here. You said people sometimes know what career they wanted to pursue, but you knew from an early age that you wanted to adopt children. And I think that is so beautiful. But you you actually had a heart for adoption. And you tell a story about going on a mission trip after college to Moldova and about Elena. Tell us about Elena. Yeah. So I'm early 20s. I'm not dating anyone. My church, I was in Nashville at the time, takes, I don't know, like three groups of us to Moldova. And for those that don't know, Moldova is in Western Europe. It's the poorest country in Europe. And children and orphanages in Moldova are actually typically dropped off at the orphanage by their biological family because the family can't afford to feed them, clothe them, care for them. So it's a pretty sad reality. And I spent time with this young woman, Elena, quite a bit of the week. O-L-E-N-A. I love the spelling of it. And she was a teenager. And I just remember we had these different conversations. I actually had a ring on my left hand on my on my wedding finger, a true love weights ring, which is just a, a symbol of my commitment to purity. And I remember her asking a lot of questions about that. And we just had this connection. And I remember coming back from Moldova and just so mad and so distraught. I'm like, why is this the reality? Because a lot of times what happens is kids age out just like they do in the U.S. in the foster care system. They age out from orphanages. And typically boys go into kind of criminal activity and end up in jail. And the girls tend to take a path of prostitution. Now, my church, I will say, they actually started kind of a transitional living program. So I, I love what they did with that. But I came back from Moldova thinking, I want to do something to stop this. Like, this is not okay. So what happened is fast forward, my husband and I started dating and we started talking about, like, it was very rapid. We got engaged in five months. We had known each other a long time and had mutual friends. And so I said to Nathan, just so you know, I don't plan to have biological children. And I thought, okay, he'll probably break up with me or think I'm crazy or something. And he proceeded to tell me a story about his grandfather, Sam, who grew up in St. Louis and around age seven Sam's mom and dad, this is healthcare is a whole different arena in the 1920s. They both died of pneumonia within a few months of each other. And they had three kids. So Sam was the youngest of three, but the two older ones could help on a farm. So a family adopted the two older ones to help with the farm. And Sam was left. He was left on his own, orphaned, truly orphaned. And so that really is really kind of what brought our stories together. But my husband added the caveat because in my head, I thought I'm going to go back and get Elena or someone like Elena 
But my husband said, well, for me, it's about Grandpa Sam. And I'm 100% on board with adoption. I love this older kid model, but I want it to be in the US because I want to help someone like my grandpa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love Grandpa Sam. And Grandma Betty, I think it is, right? Is it Betty? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, it's just such a precious story. So you guys were completely aligned in that, which I think is so awesome. You know, I was thinking about you, Marcy, as I was thinking about preparing to talk to you today. And one of my favorite movies, our kids, we talk about this movie all the time. If our listeners have not seen it, Instant Family. Oh, yes. John Anders did a great job. Yes. Yes. With Mark Wahlberg. If you have not seen that family, but our family just love that movie. But I was thinking that's you. It's like an instant instant family. And uh, you started the process. I think your two children that you've adopted, they were, I think, in six different homes. Before us. We were their seventh home. Yeah. And I should point that out that my daughter was a week from being three and my son was four. So to me, that's a lot of unneeded constant transition when you're that little. Yeah. Well, you learned a lot. And I, you know, I don't know how much our listeners know about the foster care system, but, you know, going through this whole process, you and Ryan certainly learned a lot. So, you know, I know there's a lot of stats out there, you know, anywhere birth to 18, our listeners may not even understand what happens at the age of 18, but, you know, there's a lot of kids in waiting. Why don't you tell us some of those stats? I'm sure you have those all memorized. Yeah. Well, and just to kind of distill sort of what we've been talking about. So people think, okay, foster care adoption, it's, it's a tricky combination of words because oftentimes people are like, I know what adoption is. I have a friend or a family member that adopted a child or, you know, siblings or something. Or they'll say, well, I know what foster care is. I have friends or neighbors that are foster parents. And those exist too, but there's actually kind of a third group that's a me that we don't talk about a lot. So what foster care adoption is, is foster care in the United States is this temporary, it's supposed to be a temporary shelter program for children who maybe living at home is dangerous, unsafe. Maybe there's a death and there's just no one to care for them. So foster care is meant as kind of like a temporary thing while the adults in their lives get become more stable and then the children get to go back. That's the intended purpose. And that's the that's actually the path that happens 50% of the time. So this is where everyone's like, well, then I understand foster care. You do. But there's another 50%. And this is where my kids fall. The other 50% are kids that go into the system. They go into foster care. And legally, the state becomes their parents, which sounds super weird. Because like the state's not a person. I'm aware of that. They don't actually have parents on paper. And so in our country, I think the current number is 113,000. It kind of gets updated every year of children in the United States that are waiting. So if you're listening and thinking, seriously, that's a lot of kids. You can go. There's um, Some of the kids are posted online. Their profiles are. The website is Heart Gallery of America. And you can see profiles. Be very kind to this website. It looks a little 1990s. I'm friends with those that run it. They're working on a refresh. But the intention is you can see some of the children who are just waiting. They're currently living in a foster home with a foster family because they're waiting for someone to adopt them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's about 400,000, I think is what you said, in the foster care system, but about 113,000 of them that are waiting. And and again, it's not like a situation where they're waiting for their parents to get stable so they can go back into the home because that's always the goal, right, Marcy? Right. Is for these to go back to their biological family. But these 113,000 kids don't have a family to 
to actually go back. Right. And to. you bring up so, a really good point, Lisa, because I get people often that say, well, Marcy, I don't feel like I should foster. That was me too. I was like, I don't want to foster. Like, God bless the people <laughs> that they are called to help in that capacity. But there's kind of two different jobs here. There's one that's the foster parent, the traditional foster parent that's temporary. They're treating this child as their own for however long that relationship is, you know, together. But then there's this other kind of person that says, I want to commit to a child or sibling group for our lives. And you can go and get licensed to adopt children that are waiting. You don't have to become a foster parent. So that's like not something on your radar, which is not on mine either. You can just say, I want to adopt children in the foster care system. So you don't even have to foster and not know the kind of the long-term outcome. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, I get teary eyed just talking about it. But, you know, and, and I know, and we're going to get into this because you've written a book, you know, and I want to get into that after we come back from our break, because obviously there's lots of fears. <laughs> there's fears on the adult part, right, Marcy? Yeah. And there's fears on the children's part as well. But, you know, one of the things that you, um, a quote that you have in your book here that I just love, and who doesn't love Mr. Rogers? Who doesn't love Mr. Rogers? But you said anyone who does anything to help a child in their life is a hero to me. Yeah. And Mr. Rogers has an adopted sister. So to me, that quote just means such a deeply related thing to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to dig into your book, Marcy, and all kinds of other things. Because girl, you've done so many different things. You've you've stepped out of your comfort zone many, many times. So yeah, uh, I want to talk about that. But we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with Marcy Bursack on the Something Extra podcast. In business, the tendency is to seek out partners who are bigger, faster, stronger. When it comes to IT, you should be looking for smarter, faster, better. That's just what you'll find with the talented technologists at Technology Partners. Our experts develop custom solutions to tackle your most complex challenges, all to simplify your processes in the smartest, most efficient way possible. The time to be swift and nimble starts now. Go to technologypartners.net slash solutions and see what's possible. So welcome back, everyone, to the Something Extra podcast with Marcy Bursak. So Marcy, you've written a book, and and I told you I kind of look at it as a field guide. It's a how-to, and I love the way that you've structured it. Part one is about the heart. We've already talked about yours and Nathan's heart, that you guys both had a heart for this. And then part two is the fears. And we talked a little bit about some of these fears I can't even pronounce. I can't either. Uh, Lisa, I only learned to pronounce them because I recorded the audiobook and I was like, oh no, I didn't know I had to say these words, but they're, they're real words, like being afraid of the cost, being afraid of the emotional investment, being afraid of attaching, right? Like all these different things that the irony, as you'll notice in the book too, you saw yourself is the same fear can be like in a child and an adult. The child's afraid to be attached to you because have they had stability before? What were those adults like to them before? And you're thinking, I don't know if I want to attach because what if I'm a bad parent? Or what if we don't gel? You know, and all these things can really keep us and prevent us from going through this journey when really I think what's so healthy for us to do is call the fear what it is. It's a fear, right? Like name the fear and know this is my hangup. I talk, I counsel privately a number of couples across the nation and they'll reach out and say, okay, this is where I'm at. And a common thing that comes up is I'll usually hear if it's a heterosexual relationship, I'll hear from the female and she'll tell me how she's ready to go, but he's not. And we talk through it. And usually what's really under there is something happened to him or some fear is in him that's holding them back. And so I coach her 
with, have you talked about that? Have you asked him, like in, in a non judgmental way, have you allowed him to process maybe the relationship he had with his dad or the trauma he went through? Or, you know, insert those things. Like for my own story, when you go through this licensing process, you have to answer a bunch of questions about like, what's your relationship like with these people? And under what conditions would you and your spouse get? divorce and all these different things, which are good things to have conversation on. But for me, it triggered childhood trauma that I had never addressed. And so I talked to my husband and I was like, I need to go to therapy. And he was like, great. And I'm like, no, like I need to do this because I know that our children are going to need the same sort of support in their life. And if I can go model the way, then it makes it very normal for them. It makes it very healthy for them. It makes it something that like first name basis of therapists and having conversations at a dinner table with our family, like it becomes a very positive way to heal. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. That is so good, Marcy. And just, you know, it's just being real and just having the conversation. And I mean, sometimes they're not comfortable conversations, I'm sure. But get over that fear. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, mean, I think so much of it is like preparing, right? Like, it's one thing to know, maybe you're butting heads about it. And you're being reactionary. Maybe you're being told something by your significant other and you just want to react and fix it or react and tell them that's not a big deal. But I think if we can get ourselves to, you know, even just carving out time and saying, you know what, I want to, I want to go to date night or I want to just have a dinner at home with you. And I'm I'm just going to be there to listen. I just want to hear, like, help me understand and like making a commitment that like during that time, your role as the listener is to listen and to be empathetic and to nod and to say, thanks for telling me but it's not to solve the problem. It's just to listen to maybe what some of those fears are. Yeah, no, that's really good. You know, and you just reminded me, I think I read you and Nathan really sat down and said, okay, what is our life going to look like? And what are some of those things that we want to carry into this new normal? And I think one of his was date night. Yep. (laughs) It was really important to him for you guys to continue to build your relationship, which I think is healthy for any couple. You know, the kids cannot be the center of the relationship. That's really unhealthy. And I know we've been guilty of that at times. Sure. Well, it can be easy, but to us, because my husband declared that it was, okay, well, how do we do that then? Like, are we enlisting grandparents? Are we finding that babysitter? Because then you kind of run into this funny cycle. Maybe other listeners have gone in through where like you find the babysitter and you're like, awesome, my life is going well. And then they age and all of a sudden they're not a babysitter anymore. So you have to like constantly recruit the person to take care of your kids. Mm-hmm. Right. I am looking here. I'm trying to look for this fear that, oh my goodness, the fear of complicated words. I have never seen a word this long, Marcy. Yeah. <laughs> it's hippopotamusdrusquipdiflophobia. You are so good. You're so, and it's funny. It's actually one of the longest words. So it's like a picture of itself. But And so people get nervous about that. And so they get nervous as the adult. You might think, what if this kid tells me or has gone through this? Or what if they ask me things? Maybe they're a teenager and like we're talking through puberty and dating. I'm like, I don't know how to talk about that kind of stuff, right? And so we can talk ourselves out of getting in line, going and getting licensed and helping kids when really we've all gone through this stuff. And maybe you didn't have that exact experience, but man, you can listen and you can go through training and you can ask for help, right? And I think- The same is true for kids in these situations where they're thinking, I don't know how to unpack what I've gone through. For my children, they were so young, there weren't really words. And so we kind of knew as they aged that like we would need to provide space and just time to do that. Like we watched a movie just a few months ago, it was like late on a Saturday night and something in the movie triggered 
some sort of memory. And so my kids were just popping back and forth. It's after bedtime. My husband's giving me the eyeball. And I was like, no, like we have to like let them do this because who knows when this will happen again or what it will be. And it was just them reliving different places they had lived and they were remembering different toys. And it was really sweet, but just to give them that space to talk and ask questions. And I, I know some people think, okay, Marcy, but how do I explain this? So what language do I use? And by the way, are your kids even aware of like their actual story? And I think so much of that is this is such a private decision for people to make that we can be curious about others and think, well, I want to know why. And I and I understand that curiosity. However, in my own story, that's my children's story. And so I don't tell you what their background is. And in fact, when they ask me questions, I'm very honest. We call them family conversations. They're allowed to ask anything they want in this space. And they'll say things sometimes of the recent, and they're in middle school now, is, okay, well, do you know my biological parents' names? And my answer is yes. And then there's usually kind of a pause. And I look at them. And and we had talked to the play therapist really early in, and her recommendation was don't put memories where memories don't exist. And so I'm very honest with my children. And I say, I know their names. I am choosing to not tell you. But one day when you're older, when it feels appropriate, I'm happy to share. And the reason I'm not telling you right now is there's the internet, you know, all these things could happen. And, but I open it that, you know, if you disagree with me, let's talk about that. Like, if you think you're ready, if you think that would be helpful to you in any way, and there, there's other details in their story too, they want to know, right? And it's sometimes like, I can tell you this much, but I'm intentionally withholding information, but I'm gonna tell you I'm withholding it because I love you. And to me, it's not the right time. And so it can feel uncomfortable because I've, I've talked to many families that maybe they haven't even told their child they're adopted and they think, oh, it's like the worst thing ever because the backstory and, and, they, and they can get fearful and freak themselves out and not do this. I've actually had two different families in the past few months individually came to me and said, my child doesn't know their story. And I was like, well, the Bible tells us the truth sets you free. And so, well, Marcy, this story, it's like this and it, it's got dark details. And I was like, do you have to tell it that way? Like, isn't the child the center of the story when you tell it to them? And yes, they should know the real, but can't you just tell them the story as if it's a children's book and make it appropriate for them to digest? And Lisa, it's been so liberating to walk this out with these families who were like, you know what? I do need to stop hiding this. I do need to just be honest. And it can be uncomfortable because we can think, especially as adoptive parents, we can think, well, what if my child doesn't love me? Like, I'm very aware that my children have two sets of parents, right? I'm very aware they have a story before me, but I'm also very aware that I can choose to honor them. I can choose to appreciate the story my children have and the people that bore them. But at the same time, it doesn't mean I'm competing with them. It doesn't mean that my children need to like pick one or the other. You know, they're allowed to love us all. And I think that sort of getting your heart around that is really one of those things that can be scary to work out, but also one of the biggest steps in maturity we can make in order to help children who are waiting to be adopted. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I remember reading that about you, Marcy, you know, that you had that decision. Can I really give my all, give everything, really love them all in? Because that's scary. What if they don't love you back? Or what if they, you know, are not happy with our family? And you know, I can't remember exactly the details on that, but I think you even, you know, quoted, you know, it's better to have loved and lost than not to have loved at all. Yep. yep. And, and and you said, no, I'm all in. But it so really was really... a hard decision, Lisa. I mean, I think it was like the kids are in bed, my husband and I are talking, and I'm my wits end thinking, my heart can't do this. Like, this is so vulnerable. It's like you pour your, it's one thing to like ask, not that you're dating your kids, but in, in a similar format, right? It's like you ask someone to go out with you and there's rejection, Right. 
and they might break up with you. And it felt like that because I felt like, man, I could pour myself into these kids, but there's no promise of what's going to be reciprocated. There's no promise of time. There's no promise of this or that. And yeah, just wrestling with that, having the reality in my head of, but if I die tomorrow and I'm, I'm going to meet my maker and I, and I think back on my life on earth and I think, was I proud of what I did? Like, what if that's the only time I got with these children? What if they never got to experience a really deep, unconditional love because I chose to withhold that, right? But that's hard. That's hard work, Lisa. Like, to really say, okay, no matter what the future holds, I'm going to just dig into this. I'm really just going to give you everything, even though it can be really hurtful in the long run. Yeah. Mm. So good. Well, I love the book. And if you know, we have any listeners out there that are curious, this is an awesome book. Part three, Marcy goes through of how the how you give templates, you give even, you know, some of the applications that you have to fill out, you give your thoughts on that. Then part four is the life. So you talk about the real struggles, anger, physical boundaries, celebration, surprises, you really, it's a resource book. That's really what it is. It is a resource book. But now I want to move into something else that you, like Marcy doesn't have enough on her plate. (laughs) She's got two children. She's got a career. She's getting her MBA, all this in 2021. You decide to step into the pageantry world of Marcy. And I don't think you had grown up in the pageantry world, right? No, Lisa, (laughs) I was packing. I was literally packing suitcases for vacation to meet up with a friend in like Kentucky. And I was going to bed. Like, I was ready to just tuck her down. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, go Google pageantry. And I was like, excuse me, God, wrong number? Like, what? (laughs) And I just knew I was supposed to. And so I did. And I thought, okay, I'll find all the reasons why not. And there was a new director. And so the fees were discounted. And then through a bunch of things that happened, my family partners with the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Dave Thomas started the Wendy's Restaurant. You all might be familiar with their Frosties that are amazing. Highly encourage you to get a $2 Frosties keychain that benefits their foundation. And you can get free Frosties for the year. And they're in Ohio is where they're based. And the United States of America's pageant system asked if I wanted to represent Ohio. And I thought, I live in Missouri and I go to school in Missouri. What? And so, but I had friends and family in Ohio and the foundations in Ohio. So I asked all of them, I asked friends, I asked family, I asked the foundation. I thought, this will be so easy. They are going to tell me I am crazy. And Lisa, no, my sister was like, this is great. Do it. And I was like, where's your brain? Like where, where, hello. And then my girlfriend, she's a mom blogger. So it's a really big network. So after school one day, she like pulled a bunch of moms and she called me up afterwards and said, Marcy, okay, we all voted. And I was like, how'd it go? She said, well, we wanted to know for sure that you don't support Michigan in terms of like football teams. So since you're not a Michigan fan, that's okay with us. And I was like, but I don't live in your state. So it was just so wild, Lisa. But really what I feel like I was called to do was to bring the message that there are children waiting into the most positive parts of the the nation that I can. How, How do we help kids that are getting overlooked get that sparkle, get that shine, get the awareness out. And so, yeah, I hired a pageant coach. I went online and and announced this. Friends and family funded the whole journey. I ended up placing in the top 16. I won People's Choice. So that gave a $3,000 grant to the Dave Thomas Foundation. Uh, They have a program called Wendy's Wonderful Kids that helps kids that have been waiting in foster care the longest to be adopted. That's typically kids with special needs, sibling groups, and teenagers. 
So yeah, I just kind of stepped in. I don't really see myself having a career in pageantry, but I do feel like I was very much called to take that walk last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you did. And you, like you said, you placed in the top 16. You got the people's choice. It's just amazing. And you were able to win some money, which is awesome. The Nina Thomas Foundation. That is so, so cool. I love that. Well, and then talk to me real quickly before we move into something extra. You've got another book that you wrote, and I think you crowdfunded this book, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Are You a Forever Family? If anyone grew up, there's Mm -hmm. this super cute children's book called Are You My Mother? And Lisa, when I wrote my first book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, I had that book with me thinking, somehow this is a children's book about foster care adoption. And I think I forced it because I kept trying. I kept looking at different names. And all of it just felt, now that I kind of see hindsight, right? it just didn't feel as positive or as bright, right? Like the story didn't come out. And so I thought, okay, I guess that was just an idea, God. I came back from Vegas for pageantry. You mentioned I'm getting my MBA. I had worked ahead of my coursework, so I'd have kind of a week of margin before changing classes. So I had nothing planned. It was so great. And then I thought, wait, I have nothing planned. This is a stewardship week. Like I should be using this time well. And so I pulled out a bunch of children's books. I met other authors writing in the foster care and adoption space. I pulled their works around me. And one night I was sitting in my, everything happens in my bedroom. It's so funny. Uh, I was sitting in my bed talking to my husband and I just, with my fist, I'm like, oh, like there just needs to be a book and it needs to be like this. And I opened one of the books, the Todd Parr book, who writes really wonderful things. And I turned a page and I said, it needs to say like this. And I turned the page and like this. And I was like so mad. But then after I came out of my anger, Lisa, I realized the words were coming out of my mouth. And so I was like, oh my gosh, hold on. And so I ran and got my phone. I turned on a voice memo. I started over with the story. And then I just went on Google Slides and I typed the words. I, if anyone's ever written a children's book, if you're ever thinking about it, apparently you're supposed to give your illustrator four to six months to design. I am married to an artist. People wondered if he would be the one to draw. He was like, Marcy, I want to release you. I am not a designer. I'm not a graphic designer. I print 3D models for Dungeons and Dragons. Like I will help you as a creative director, but like, please, by all means, get an A quality illustrator. These kids need A quality, right? And Lisa, I, I did my little call out for proposals, things like that. And I had, it was like two days worth of research and every one of them came back and said, you put four to six weeks from now, you want this. Did you put a typo? Was that supposed to say months? And I was like, no, like this is supposed to come out in May. I know it's like February, March, but come on. And so I felt kind of defeated (laughs) after two days because I was like, God, how am I supposed to do this? Like you put this in my heart and I felt like I was supposed to do it for one more day for one more day. And so I reached out and I found a firm actually based in Florida. We hopped on a discovery call. We instantly connected. They came back. Their price was like a third of what a full out illustrator had been quoting me. They understood the simplicity. It's also part of the the cost factor that my designs are very simplistic. And yeah, they had everything to me in two weeks, Lisa, in two weeks. And all of the people in the book, it's a children's book called Are You a Forever Family? They're all based on people that have come my podcast with their friends their coworkers, their people that are living this out. Marcy, <laughs> I get seriously. I I thought I was high octane. <laughs> you are high octane to the ninth degree, to the nth degree. <laughs> We're like sisters. And you're just inspiring. You're just so inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing your story. I have to ask you though, the common thread with all the Something Extra podcasts is what is the Something Extra that you believe every leader needs? 
Yeah. And I love this question so much. I think from my perspective, the something extra, every leader, and I, and I say this, I, I've, I've been in a position where I've led a department. I've been in the position as an individual contributor. I've been in the position leading a nonprofit. So I believe leadership is everywhere. Like leadership does not have a title to it. And I think no matter who you are, whether you're even at home or with children or whatever the thing is you're doing in your community, I think that the most critical ingredient is connection. And that connection can look like just connecting with people and hearing them. Connection can mean, like Lisa did before we went live, you were brainstorming with me and you thought, I should connect you. And I think when we connect others, we show other people, I see you and I love you and I want to encourage you. And I think we can really encourage people when we can connect with them, but also connect them with others. With one another. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it. You're speaking my language, girl. Well, what are you excited about, Marcy? Are you like going to enter the Miss Universe project or or you've got another book in the wings? Probably. Uh, yeah, you I'm know, not sure pageantry's out there. Yeah, I think for me, so I just launched the Forgotten Adoption Option app in November. So anyone can go to this. It's at ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. It is essentially a free app that shows you the whole process. So that just came out. Next on my horizon is in May for the first two weeks. We're doing a reading program. It's to be named, but it's using the children's book, Are You a Forever Family? And we're trying, May is National Foster Care Month. So we're trying to get teachers, librarians, art teachers across the nation that work with elementary school students to help talk about foster care adoption. So that's coming. And then later in the year, I have a a sister and a friend that are both professors at different universities. And we're looking at doing a research study, Lisa. I'm very excited about this. There has not been a research study conducted, so this is a little bit of a fine-tune, specifically on people like me that are non-kin, meaning we're not biologically related to the children we adopt. So I'm very excited to be able to kind of embark to understand, because sometimes it makes a lot of sense. There's a model right now where um, there's different names for it, but essentially when a child's in foster care and they know that they need to be adopted, they often think, okay, well, who's, who do they live with? Who are they related to? Who's their coach? All these kind of like right next to them people. And it's a very, very, very effective model. However, some of the time it doesn't make sense for children to stay in that environment. It's actually better for them to be in a different environment. And that's what my children did. Um, Because there were not people in their city, not people in their county, there were people in their state. And so there's a big question of there's other people just like us. And what if we could figure out what those people are like and kind of what tends to draw us into this space so we can find even more adoptive families. So yeah, research study, reading program, those are on the 2023 horizon. Yeah. So if you're a listener, we'll have all of this information in the show notes, but please reach out to Marcy. I know that she would love to get you plugged in. Right, Marcy? I mean, you're always looking for more connections and people to help spread the the word. And so there may be some teachers out there. So let's really continue to just help you evangelize what you're doing because you're doing amazing work. But thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you for making the time today. I think I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. um, And I just want to add to your listeners, Lisa, if anyone is thinking, well, I don't necessarily want to volunteer with Marcy. I actually have some questions. I intentionally carve out time in my calendar to coach, to encourage. We can do that privately via video. If you even have a group that you're like, Marcy, I'd love you come and spoke to my women's group or my work or whatever. All those things I have time for. So please, please, please do not hesitate. I will not judge you. I am a safe person to talk to you. I just really want to help you overcome those fears. Well, thank you for that. I hope we have a lot of people that take you up on that. Thank you so much, sister. Thank you for being on the show today and enjoy the rest of your day. It was so fun. I'm so excited to see what happens with this. 
Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc., 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.